I'm going to encourage you to be still, and uh, and I mean this. If someone here has some kind of medical thing going on and you got to go to the bathroom or get up or whatever, there's no judgment, no issue. But if you're not in that category, can I encourage you to be still a little bit tonight uh, and turn your phones off? That'll help you stay uh, free from distractions as well. All right. Can I get an amen on that, guys? Don't get all weird and quiet on me. Uh, all right, we're, we're in a world of constant distraction. Then you come to church and then your phone's still buzzing. You can't get, you know, like, who's texting me? Who's been? And, and I'm telling you, that stuff happens for a reason. God wants you to be still and know that he's God. All right, look at Joshua 7, Joshua chapter 7. And I'm going to start reading in verse number 1. We're going to learn about one of the greatest military uh, leaders of all time. Now, you in, in secular history, you learn about Alexander the Great. You'll learn about Napoleon. You'll learn about some of the, the barons from... Uh, 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 late 1800s in the German, uh, 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 what is that, uh, the, the empire called, not the German empire, not Bavarian, um, Prussian, the Prussian empire. You hear some great names, uh, big names like that. Uh, you never hear about Joshua, uh, but Joshua has a pretty awesome record in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Joshua wins, I'm trying not to use this big fat finger tonight, <laughs> but it's going to come out, it's going to go just like that. All right, Joshua wins every single battle except for one. And we're going to look at the one battle that he doesn't win. And, and P.S., spoiler alert, I guess you could say, it's not his fault. All right? And we're talking about stewardship of finances and, and, and how to handle money and things like that. We're going to go through this series and learn about myths that Christians believe about money, uh, dispelling the, the prosperity gospel, dispelling the poverty gospel, because they both exist, all right, depending on what Christian circles you come from, uh, looking at what the Bible says about saving, looking at what the Bible says about budgeting, looking at what the Bible says about uh, uh, how to spend money and things like that. But before we get to that, I, I think something that has uh, eaten up our culture, they say that America and really Western society is a consumer society. And what that means is that we are constantly going from this thing to this thing. How can I entertain myself? How can I make my life better? How can I buy this thing to make me better, make me look better, whatever else? And it's not that it's all bad. It's not that having, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's not that having things is a problem, but it's how you go about it and the motive behind it. You see, God doesn't just look like we do at the surface. God doesn't go, oh, they got a new car. I bet they, you know, I bet they did it, you know, they're not tithing or whatever else, and they're, they're doing this and cutting corners. God looks at it and goes, I don't care that they have a new car. Matter of fact, they've praised me, and they've honored me, and they've done right, and, the, and they, they've taken care of things the right way, and I bless them with that. God sees more importantly not just what you do, but the motive behind what you're doing. In other words, the judgment seat of Christ is not simply about, I did wrong, I did this, I did It's about the motive of what sort it is. Why did you do what you did? Why did you not do what God asked you to do? What, what is the reason behind it? That's what God is going to look at. And so as we look at the subject of money and finances, I, I want to talk to you about the gap between victory and loss. Because this is the only battle that they, have, that they lost under Joshua's leadership once Moses was dead. And you say, what is the gap? Covetousness versus contentment. And, and Christian, let me say, covetousness is something that after you get rid of the outward stuff, and after you get rid of and you go, oh, no, no, I don't want stuff. You ever look at someone that sings and go, how come I can't sing? You ever go, how come, how come they have that kind of marriage? How come they have that kind of house? How come, you ever find yourself doing that? You say, what is that? That's called covetousness. 
And, and I want to expose some things about that because it goes beyond money, but money's just one of the ways you can see that, that played out. Uh, look at Joshua chapter 7. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. Now, when a chapter of the Bible starts off with the word but, you're in trouble. All right? But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. If you're taking notes or anything, I would underline that, highlight that, that phrase, accursed thing, because we're going to look at that uh, in detail later. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, nobody, here's the thing. This is being told, all right, from the perspective of this is what happened, but in that moment, nobody knows this. No one knows this yet. God's telling you this is what happens. Nobody else knows about this yet. Look at verse uh, 2. And Joshua sent men from Jericho. Jericho is where the walls came down. They had a great victory to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spake of them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Let not all the people go up. Let about eh, two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and look what it says, and they fled before the men of Ai. Now, you know what just happened? They just got through a great victory where the walls came tumbling down, and, and they took on a mighty city, and they're looking at this little city Ai, and they're going, we got this. We only need a couple thousand people. No big deal. And you say, what happened? They lost. Well, why'd they lose? They lost for something they didn't even know was going on. Uh, what that shows you is what you do in your personal life affects other people around you. Okay, uh, Look down, if you would, at verse 6. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He's there all day, and he's on his face, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. That's an oriental uh, 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 mannerism. That's their way of saying, like, woe is us, we're in trouble. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. When you start having trouble as you're walking forward with God, the answer is not, let's go back. That's the natural tendency. I just want to go back. Like, that's, that's, that's not going to work. You need to move on, okay? Uh, but but that, that's how we are as humans. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? Now, look down if you would at verse 10. The Lord said unto Joshua, all right, that's enough of that crying. Get thee up. Wherefore, look at what he says. Why are you lying down? <laughs> Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Now, God knows why. It's not like God's like, oh, why are you crying? The Lord, it's the Lord's way of saying, dude, get up. Well, we're not going to do this. You can't stay down forever. Get up. And he tells him, look at verse uh, number 11. Israel has sinned. And they also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded, for they have even taken the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also and have put it even among their own stuff. Now, if you don't know what's going on, skip down to verse 21 for sake of time. Verse, uh, verse 20. In verse 19, Joshua says, hey, they do this, this system of trying to weed down, uh, weed out who, who is innocent, and they eventually find the guilty party. It was this guy named Achan, and, and Joshua tells him to confess his issue. Look at verse 20. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Now you may go, Ugh, what? Like, they lost because this dude, like, stole some stuff or he wanted something? Like, what's the big deal? Now, 
I'll give you an example. I know you guys have been sitting for a little bit. Don't worry, you'll be sitting for a little bit too, so just take advantage of the stretching time right now. But think about this. David kills a man and takes a woman in adultery, and he lives. I'm not advocating you go out and do that, okay? But he lives. A guy picks up sticks on Saturday, and he's, he's stoned for that. Now, you may go, I don't understand God. You don't? I don't. But I'll tell you this. The reason why the Lord took this person is because he had warned them about this very thing. And he saw something that was in them that said, we, even though we are going in to take the land that God gives us, we still want to be like the people we're taking out of here. The people that God's removing from there and bringing us into their land, there's something, and the Lord says, I can't have that. You say, what is it? Well, it's covetousness. Look down to verse number 21. Then I, what? Coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver is under it. And you say, what happens? Well, look down at verse, verse number 25. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones on this day. So the Lord turned again from the fierce, turned from the fierce, fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Brother Joe, good to have you back. If you would ask the Lord's blessing on the word. Amen. Amen, BC. Let me, let me just kind of by way of introduction say this real quickly. I think sometimes what people do is they look at the Old Testament and they go, God was angry in the Old Testament and then like he had a change of heart in the New Testament and now he's happy and he loves us and everything's cool. And, and let me just say that that's not the right approach to the Lord. And that would not be rightly dividing the word of God, right? Uh, the Lord's character does not change from Old Testament to New Testament. How he interacts with us might change. Dealing with a physical nation with physical promises and dealing with a physical nation that he promised a physical kingdom versus a spiritual nation, the church in the New Testament, where we receive spiritual blessings, that is different, but the nature and character of God is not different. God does not look at sin today like, oh, no big deal, it's okay, all because of the cross of Calvary. God still sees sin very seriously. And, and you need to understand that. Listen, if you covet something, there's a good chance you're not going to get stoned by this church. Like a 100% chance it's not going to happen, all right? All right, we don't carry that same responsibility because the church does not have civil government attached to it like the Old Testament nation of Israel did. We are not here to present the law. We are here to present the gospel, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Having said that, listen, you need to understand this. God sees covetousness very seriously. And when you read these Old Testament stories, you don't just dismiss them and go, well, that was Old Testament. I will say, thank God I'm not under the Old Testament. I'll also say when someone goes, I wish I was there to see the part of the Red Sea. No, thanks. 
No. You say why? Because the same people that saw that also when they complained were bit by fiery serpents that came out of nowhere. <laughs> Are you sure you want to go back to those? I wish I could see all them. I don't know. No, no. I'm good. Read them right here. I like them from a distance, all right? It's just like people that go, man, if I was there, you know, in a video, watch some video on YouTube. If I was there, real easy to say when you're watching the video, right? I like my seat right here. I like reading about it. But as I read about what I learn is this, God takes sin seriously. So seriously that when his own son, God manifests in the flesh, was dying on a cross, you know what he did? He turned his back and the, and the son says this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because God the Father said, I cannot look on the, on the incarnation of evil, you say, what was that? I'm not, making a, I'm not uh, being blasphemous here. The Bible says he was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how seriously God takes sin. So now that you're saved, you don't understand. Listen, it is not so much like a, a get-out-of-jail-free card and, and sin as much as you want. You should align yourself with God's revelation in the word of God. God's revelation of mankind in human form is Jesus Christ. God's revelation of mankind in penned form is the word of God. And the most important question you can ask yourself, you know what it is? Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? It is not what, is my, what did my parents teach? Listen, I'm thankful for parents. I'm thankful for their role. I'm, I'm thankful for uh, good people in our lives. But I'll tell you right now, it doesn't matter what grandma, grandpa, dad, uh, mom, you know, if you're from the South, me, ma, nana, whatever, uh, abuelito. It doesn't matter where you're from or who your background is or whatever else. What matters is what does God actually say? Here's what I've learned. People, uh, they don't have a problem with an impersonal God. Uh, most people out there, when, I, when, I, when I, I have real conversation with atheists, what I learn is this. It's not even an intellectual argument. It's an emotional argument. And they'll go to this. After you go through all the teleological and the cosmological reasons for the existence of God, eventually it comes down to this. I can't believe in a God that allows X. Right? That's what it always goes back to. It's an emotional argument. It's not an intellectual one. All right. Well, you know what I've learned is this. People don't have a problem with a God that is some off in the distance being. They have a problem with a God that is personal. They have a, God, they have a problem with a God that's going to hold you accountable for sin. And someday you're going to stand in for every one of us to give account of himself to God. People don't like that. But let me tell you this. The best thing you can do in this life right now as a believer is get ready to meet him someday. And thank God you won't be at the great white throne judgment, but the Bible does say, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And the context of that statement in 2 Corinthians 5 by the Apostle Paul is the judgment seat of Christ. What that means is this. God is going to look at what we did with our time, what we did with our children, what we did with our church, what we did with our opportunities to serve, what we did with our opportunities to talk about someone in a good way or a bad way. Why did you do it? Uh, what you did with your money. Why did you do that? Why did you not do that? Why were you not involved with that? You, see, you know what's going to matter? What's going to matter is what you actually did according to God's leadership and submitting to his will. It's not going to be, hey, I've got this 401k. I've got, and not, God's not against that, by the way. Way, but that's not how God's going to measure you. He's going to measure you based on what did you do according to what I said. That's why it's important. Listen, if God talks about children and how to raise them, you should learn about what God says. If God talks about your marriage, you should go, I'm going to align my marriage with what God says, not with what society says. If God talks about work, 
You should go, you know what? What does God say about work? How should I approach my job? If God talks about civil government, Romans 13, I want to know what God says about it. If God talks about money, I want to know because whatever God says is right. And if God said it, then it's the right thing. And therefore, if I don't know about it, I'm missing out on the best plan for my life. And now you have to understand, our society and our culture, we are steeped in consumerism. Where there's always something else. There's always some, you know, someone that looks better, someone that's prettier, someone that's skinnier, someone that has more money, someone that has a better car, someone that has a better, maybe everything that I just listed. And you go, yep, I got the worst of all of that. All right, whatever it might be, there's always going to be someone that has something better. And if you're not careful, you're going to go, I wish I had. And, and you know what I've learned? I've learned that comparison is the death of joy. When you go, man, I, I wish I had that husband. I wish I had that wife. I wish I had those kids. Who says that? Nobody. <laughs> I, I wish I had whatever, right? I, I, listen, listen, all joking aside, you do that on a daily basis and don't even realize it. And you find your, your measurement of joy tied to, uh, to material things and, and things that people have and possess that you don't. You say, what is that? The definition of that is covetousness. Uh, listen, uh, go to Romans chapter 4 real quick. Romans 4. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. I'm going to move real quick. Romans chapter 4. And as you turn to Romans 4, can I remind you that one of the greatest spiritual attacks that ever took place on this planet, I, I would, if I were to kind of encapsulate uh, three of the most critical spiritual attacks that ever took place, I would say Garden of Eden, and we're going to talk about that. I would say the temptation of the last Adam. There's the first Adam that's tempted, and then there's, there's the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus Christ, and he's tempted as well in the wilderness. And then I would say there's the cross of Calvary where the Bible talks about the bulls of Asians and spiritual entities that were literally attacking Jesus Christ while he's on the cross. You read about that in the book of Psalms. You read about that when he spoils principalities and powers in Colossians when he comes out of the grave. I would say those are some highlights, if you will. In one of those highlights, do you realize what Jesus Christ says? With every single temptation that comes his way, it is. He does not say it was spoken. He does not say it has been said. He does not say the elders say. He does not say the, the religious leadership says. He says it is is written as if to say the authority does not come from someone taking what God said and repeating it over and over like a game of telephone. The authority comes from the written word of God. So when the, when the Son of God, our Savior, was tempted by the devil, he does not even cite his own authority. He does not say, do you know who I am? You ever met someone that does that? You know who I am? It's like, no, and I don't want to now. <laughs> You know, Jesus never says that one time. He never says, do you realize who I am? He never walks around with that kind of air. And when the devil, listen, you know who throws that in his face? The devil. He goes, don't you know who you are? If thou be the son of God, there's the doubt. And hey, if you are, do this. You know what he says? It is written. Well, what about this? It is written. Well, what about this? It is written. And the Bible says the devil left him. You want more victory in your life? Learn to quote the word of God. But here's what you can't do. You can't quote what you don't know. So as it relates to this stuff, you go, why do we learn about money? Because the Bible talks about it, and you should learn how to approach it. All right, Romans chapter 4, look at verse uh, number 3. 
Romans 4, verse number 3. For what saith the what? Almost like it's alive. Almost like it's talking. Let me just say this. God wants to reveal himself to you. He's talking. The question is, are you listening? Look at Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter 11. You know what I've never, I mean, never gone over as a pastor? If I, had a, if, if I had a dollar for every time this happened, I mean, I, I'd be rich. I can't tell you how many times someone has come to me a week after I preached a message that they were not there for. And I'm not saying it's all about me or anything like that, but there's something to be said about hearing the Word of God. The written Word of God being preached so you can look at it for yourself and let the Holy Spirit of God work on you. I cannot tell you how many times someone's come to me a week after I preached a message and go, man, I'm really struggling with this. And I'm like... And sometimes I forget they weren't there. I'm like, yeah, we talked about that. Oh, I wasn't there. You say, what is that? What you don't, you don't realize when you are not allowing the word of God to speak to you, how much of a difference that can make in your life. Romans 11, look at verse two. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew, talking about Israel. What ye not? Now that may sound like Dr. Seuss, but what he's saying is, don't you know? What ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he may make an intercession to God against Israel, saying, well, you know what he's saying? Don't you know what the scriptures say? Well, you don't, if you don't know, you don't know. Uh, look, at, look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. This is midweek Bible. All right, so we're going to flip a little bit. Let the fingers do the walking. Uh, some of you older folks are going to get that. Some of you younger ones are going to have any clue what I'm talking about. Uh, that's the, the advertisement slogan for the yellow pages. Uh, and uh, I, I, I digress. Galatians 4. I'm dating myself. Look at verse 30. Galatians 4, verse number 30. And he's going through this entire thing about Isaac and Ishmael and, and the promised seed and the bondwoman and all this stuff. But look what he says in verse 30. The beginning of the verse, Galatians 4, 30. Nevertheless, what saith thee? Like it's, it's like it's talking, but you got to be there to listen to it. And so when it comes to this subject, man, a lot of people have their own ideas about what God says about it and how God feels about it. And I want you to get this. God, God does not care about money for money's sake. He doesn't. He doesn't need it. Let me just say it this way. The stuff that people fight over in this world, money, gold, they pave the streets of heaven with it. Like this is how much God's worried about your money, all right? He does not need your money. It's not like God's like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And, and like some angel's like, oh, let me just cut a little chunk out here. There you go, there you go. <laughs> I, that, that's not how that works, all right? The reason God cares about money is because God cares about you. And what you do with it is a reflection of your value system. It's a reflection of what matters to you. Uh, uh, Jesus, does he not say, what shall it profit a man, Mark chapter 8, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own all right, so you know what that means? The soul is the most invaluable thing on this planet. God puts that as the highest price tag. How do I know that? He died for your soul. Okay? So, so, so God says, here's my value system. The souls of men and women, that's at the top. You know the problem we have? We, we get our, our value system inverted sometimes. Uh, look at Revelation chapter 18. Context, to be fair... And Revelation 18 is talking about Mystery Babylon and a, a, a false religion uh, that's been around for a very long time under different names, uh, but it will consolidate its power with the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation and, uh, and rule the world and be a vehicle and a tool for the Antichrist. 
Uh, but that said, I want you to notice something about this. We, we've, we maybe looked at this before when we looked at the seven mysteries. Uh, and this is one of the mysteries listed in the New Testament. Uh, talking about Mystery Babylon. But I want you to look at the value system of Mystery Babylon. This is the value system of the world. The reason why Babylon, Mystery Babylon, is listed, its value system is listed out here is because Mystery Babylon is the religion that will consolidate its power around the entire world at the time of the Antichrist reign. How is it able to do that? Here's how it's able to do that. It values the same thing that the world does. Look at Revelation 18, look at verse number 12. What is the first element listed? The merchandise of what? All right, now I'm not going to read the, all the verses. Just, just skip, skim through there and look at the last three words in verse 13. You see, what is that? That's an inverted value system. That's here's God's, souls them in up here. Here's ours, souls them in down here. That's the world. I don't say ours as the church. I'm saying if you live out there and you don't take in the words of God and you are not constantly reminding yourself, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up way beyond the blue. If you don't remind yourself of that on a regular basis, you will get sucked into the way the world values everything. Which is why in the business world, it doesn't matter what, you, what corners you have to cut, what things you got to cut out, whatever things you have to leave out, you can be dishonest. Why? Because the end justifies the means. And if someone tells you they don't believe that and they reject the idea of morality being focused on God, my question would be this, if there is no God, who makes the shot, who calls the shots? Who says if it's a foul or a strike or a fair ball? Who makes that call? Ultimately, it's God. But if there is no God, then what, what does it matter? God says, here's my value system, souls of men. And the world says, here's our value system, souls of men. You say, what's before the souls of men in that list? Pretty much everything else. And you say, what is that? Well, what you need to understand is this. As a believer, your value system should line up with God's. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Is this making sense so far? Matthew chapter number 6. Now, we talked about this last week. Money is a tool. It's a vehicle, all right? There's, there's nothing intrinsically. There, money has no moral quality. It is what you do with it. it literally, that, that's it, all right? Now, I, I know there's a lot of illustrations you can use. I talked about last week. If I, if I drove my truck and brought people to church with it, that's a good thing. You don't look at my truck and go, man, what a great truck. Right? The truck is an inanimate object. It's a vehicle, if I took my truck and ran over someone because I was angry in traffic, you wouldn't say tomorrow we should outlaw all Chevy trucks. Did you see what that truck did? You wouldn't do that. You would attribute the moral nature of how it was used to the person behind the wheel. Is this making sense? So when it comes to money, it's, it's not so much like money is bad. People, we know what the world says all the time. Money's the root of all evil. And it's a half statement that they get out of the Bible and they don't know where it comes from. The, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it is the love of money that's the root of all evil. So why do you have uh, slavery going, oh, no, slavery, we abolish that. You're an idiot if you think slavery is abolished. Human trafficking is at its height right now. You say, what's going on? Uh, they're taking kids, and they're kidnapping them, and they're selling them. And for all, all kinds of unspeakable things, you say, why would any person do that? Money. Lots of money. 
and they shelter themselves and they distance themselves from the actual issue. Why do they do that? They do that because they want to have a conscience that's clear, but in all reality, what they're doing is they're staining and searing their conscience because they've got a love for money. Why? I've got to have it. 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 Now, you may go, I would never do that. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you'll fudge your time card at work. Maybe you'll lie to the IRS. Oh, all of a sudden it got real quiet. <laughs> Human traffic, hey man, you get those sleaze balls. <laughs> well, what causes us to do that is no different. It's the love of money. It's covetousness. I want more. Look, if God gives you more and you got it the right way, praise God. God's not against that. Listen, if someone said, man, I'm working 50 hours a week, I'm making the church Wednesday night, I'm in that book every morning, I'm, I'm here Sunday morning, I'm serving God the, the, the best of my ability, and I'm a millionaire, I would say, praise the Lord, great, we need a building. Right. Amen. All right? I, amen. I'd have to throw that out there, you know that, right? You guys would expect that, right? Look at, look at Matthew 6, look at Matthew 6, and look at verse number 19, Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. See, God doesn't want us to have stuff. Well, just, 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 stop. Read everything that it says. Where moth and rust doth corrupt, he's showing you there are some treasures that won't last. You ever, you ever look, I, I have a nice house. I'm thankful for my house. Some of you may go, oh, man, oh, I don't know how you afford that. Here's how I afforded it. I bought that thing 12 years ago. I don't know why, but I feel like Ariana's sitting here again with stuff everywhere. <laughs> I bought the house 12 years ago at $360,000. I know, I know. Sorry, don't hate me. Someone's like, now I really hate you, preacher. All right, that's how I can afford that house, just to be very clear. Now, now, now all, all that said, do you realize years ago, years, years, I mean, like before pretty much, maybe James was here, maybe James was here. There was a guy that wasn't right with the Lord. He got upset, and he said, I bet pastor's taking money from the church. Dude, I was making 75 bucks a month from the church, okay? I wasn't looking at this like, oh, I'm going to make it big with the church. <laughs> there was very little money coming in. He said, that's probably how you got that house. I said, bro, I got that house because I, I worked really hard. And God, and God blessed me to be able to do that. That's it. Now you say, what was the problem? Covetousness. Now, God doesn't have a problem with, with treasures, but he wants you to know that, that, listen, if you're really going for something that lasts, I have, li- I have laid down in my house at, t- at times at night, and I just look up at the ceiling and I go, someday, someday, someone else is going to live in this house. And I'll be dead, and I'll be gone. And that's it. And someone may need to check on that, whatever that is. <laughs> All right? Uh, so if you're, if you're sensing the buzzer going off, uh, that, that may be, but I, I sit there and I go, this is going to be mine forever. And you know what it is? It's very humbling, mm-hmm. very humbling. Mm-hmm. And, and you go, it's my house. <laughs> it's borrowed property. You say, oh, cause you have a loan and mortgage. Yeah, but more than that. God, let me use it for a little bit. Why? So we could host missionaries. So we could have college and career group over. So we can have a youth group over. So we can have uh, visiting evangelists come over. So we can have fellowship with like-binding believers. You say, what? Hospitality. The pastor should be given hospitality. All right. So, so, so listen, it's borrowed. 
it's not that it's, it's wrong to take care. I don't believe you should trash your stuff. That's a terrible steward. Right. You shouldn't be lazy. You shouldn't trash your stuff. You should have a clean house by the grace of God. Do what you can. Your house may not, not be as immaculate as somebody else. This is not a, a contest for who has the cleanest house. That's not where this is going. I'm saying you do what you can to the best of your ability. And take care of what God, nothing, God's not a, God has no problem with that at all. None. But he wants you to understand it's temporary. Matter of fact, look what he says here. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Now watch what he says in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because it's eternal. It lasts. It's not that you can't have stuff here. But, buddy, if all you're living for is right here, you're missing out on the real thing. If all you're living for is like what I can get, that's the lost world. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. The word Gentiles is the same word as heathen, man. It's what they are. It's what the world does. They go after riches and they hold on to all that they can. And you say, why? Because it's all that I've got. And I'll say this, for for a lost person, this is as close to heaven as you're going to come. And if you're saved, this is as close to hell as you're going to come. So you better remember, like, the stuff that you have right now, it's borrowed. This is not all there is to it. Now, I said all that to say this. Look at verse number 21. For where your treasure is, there is your what? There's your heart. Now, I want you to understand, and we're going to look at this, that there's a connection between the eyes and the heart, and the treasure, and eventually your life. You say, what's the connection? Well, wherever your eyes are at. Do you, re- you guys ever heard of something called remarketing? You guys know what that is? Anybody know what that is? Okay, let's say that you're, you're talking with your spouse about buying a pair of shoes. This is creepy, man. You know where I'm going, don't you? And all of a sudden, you get online, maybe even on your Bible program. I've done this. I get on my Bible program, Look up a verse, and all of a sudden it's like, there's these shoes. I'm like, "Ah, first off, it wasn't me that wanted it. It was her. (laughs) I don't want these shoes, but it's following me everywhere I go. Say what? Got to have it. 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 Now, if you can afford it and and it's something that you can use, there's nothing wrong with you getting it. But I'm going to tell you right now, when your eyes go, eventually your heart follows. Your eyes are real important in the Bible. Matter of fact, look what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6. Notice what he says about your eyes and the connection there. Uh, look at verse number 22. Why does he talk about the eye following the heart? Because they're connected. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, in other words, you've got one focus looking at the Lord, thy whole body shall be full of what? But if thine eye be evil, I'm looking here, looking here, looking here, looking here, constantly looking for the next thing. Looking at got to have it, got to have it. Thy whole body shall be full of what? If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, he says, listen, for a New Testament believer, it goes a step further. You've got the light of the world, Jesus Christ, inside of you. And you can take that light and just push it down and squish it and make just that whole thing inside of you dark. Why? Because you are looking at other things and other people and comparing yourself where Paul says comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. And when you do that, even if you say, how come I can't uh, preach or I can't do this? or that's, that's not, you're not, listen, if God makes you Joshua, don't try to be Moses. Okay? 
In other words, even when it comes to the right things, you should not go, but I can't do that, and I don't have that. And I, Okay, then what do you have? Quit worrying about what you don't have and look in your hands and go, oh, all I've got is a stick. God goes, that'll work, Moses. I can use that. But what you do is you find this false sense of humility. I can't do that. And, I and what it really is is you're coveting what somebody else has. And this thing is displayed in the world system in which we live in through the exchange of currency. All right, let me say this, number one. Covetousness is based off of what we see in front of us. Look at uh, old Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, I realize what time it is. We're going to move quick. Genesis chapter 3. Covetousness is based off of what we see in front of us. Well, look at Genesis 3, and when the devil came to the woman, notice what happens in verse 6. And when the woman, what's the next word, verse 6? Saw. She saw. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. You know what she, you know what she thought? God is holding something from me that I deserve. And I would say this secondly about covetousness, it's based on entitlement. I deserve that. You and I deserve death and hell. You know what grace is? The unmerited favor of God. God saying, you don't deserve my love, you don't deserve my grace, but because of my son, I'm going to enter in a covenant with you. If you take my son, I'll enter that covenant, and I will pour out my love on you, and you can never lose it. It'll never go away forever and ever and ever. The greatest insurance policy is Romans 8.38. Nor life, nor death, nor angels, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, he doesn't do that because you're a great guy. He doesn't do that because you come to church. He does that because of Jesus Christ. And you were willing to take him on his offer and accept that grace. Well, listen, when it, when it comes to what, what happened with Eve, you say, what's the problem? She was looking at going, God is holding something back for me, and I deserve this. I'm entitled. Why? I looked. Hey, there's some things you don't need to look at. Because once you look, you're going to start thinking. Can I just say this? If you don't have it in your budget, don't go to the mall. Yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. And if you do go to the mall, go in the nicest clothes you have ever worn with the best cologne and the best hairdo and whatever else you want. Because I walk by there and go, I don't need this junk, man. <laughs> it's, okay, you may laugh about that. How about this? Anyone ever go grocery shopping when they're hungry? Oh, man, I used to do it. Come home with six boxes of cereal. I was like, why did you do this? You know, and two of them are like frosted flakes, you know, and Fruit Loops, and she's like burning them at the door, you know. <laughs> Listen, covetousness is based off of where you put your eyes. Go, go a couple chapters later. Look at Genesis chapter 13. Genesis 13. Where are your eyes at right now? What are you going after? I don't think there's anything wrong if you're in business at doing the best you can to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ and make money, and do it well, and be profitable, and, 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 and be a test. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your singular focus in life is supposed to be Jesus Christ, business is not first. It's my business is a vehicle for him. Okay? So, so whatever I get from that business is not just whatever I think I'm going to do with it. It's I'm the steward of that. Therefore, I, everything's in light of that. If your eye is single, it's full of light. 
But if it's evil, in other words, it doesn't have a singular focus. You're looking here, looking there. I'll do this, I'm going to do that. And the Lord's like, hey, man, slow it down. How about you just do what you're going to do for me? Genesis 13, look at verse 10. What did Lot do? Abraham says, oh, land's too big, uh, too small for us. You go this way, I go this way. You pick whichever way you want to go. Where does Lot end up? Question, where does he end up? Sodom, all right. Good city, bad city, what do you guys think? All right, and, and, so, and so how does that end? Fire, I would say if the city ended with fire coming down from heaven, it was not a great place to live, not a good place to buy a house, not a great investment for real estate, right? If you bought a house in a great neighborhood, and then the next day, like, fire came down from heaven, and God's like, I don't like this place, I'd be like, I'll never move there again, right? You would learn the lesson. You know what Lot did? Lot looked. Look what it says here in verse number 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what he said? Man, I got to have that. No prayer. No thought. Just, I got to have it. And, and you say, what is it? It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. David gets off his bed one night and starts walking. And he sees a woman washing herself. And you know what he did? He looked. Oh, preacher, who wouldn't? Yeah, but he started looking a little bit longer. Then a plan forms. And then, buddy, you are out in left field. You say, where did it start? It started with a look. So I'm going to ask you tonight, where are your eyes at tonight? In the Old Testament, God says, thou shalt not cover the neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover the neighbor's wife. Look, I, I don't, there's nothing wrong with driving through a neighbor and go, oh, that's a nice house. you going, man, I wish we could have a house like that. How come we can't have a house like that? Well, that's a problem. And you may find yourself out in left field because you just think to yourself, how come we can't? You ever consider maybe God doesn't want you to have that right now? I mean, the, the Savior of the world goes, no thanks to the kingdom. I'll be back in a couple thousand years. I'll get it the right way. Uh, there's a little bit of, I would call that, uh, uh, what do you call that, uh, emotional intelligence there on the, on the part of the Son of God, where he basically says, you know, I think I'll wait. Why? Because I don't want to cut corners. You say, what's the problem? Uh, listen, marriage is a beautiful thing, the act of marriage, and I, we got kids and all that. Be careful. Uh, but but uh, two kids that are, you know, high school, college age, messing around, you say, what's the problem? Well, the problem is you want to cut corners, and you want, the, you, want, you want the enjoyment without the responsibility, and God never works it that way. God says, hey, if you're willing to be responsible, and you're willing to take it on my time and on my scale and, and do it my way, I'll bless you. Now, 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 David, you see what happens with David? Same thing with all of them. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So God says, thou shalt not cover the neighbor's house, neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, that's a donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. We've got three and a half million neighbors in Denver. Don't covet what they got. Okay? I mean, even the New Testament, you know who, who covers this? Paul does in Romans 13. Now, now listen, I'll say this. Covetousness leads to impulsive buying. You ever gone looking at a car? Knowing that you probably couldn't afford it. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> we all have made that dumb mistake. It's called stupid tax when you're younger, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so you go, I'm going to really nice, get this really nice car. Okay, well, now I've got a $600, $700 payment. And then you say, oh, I can't afford X. And I can't enjoy things that God wants me to enjoy. 
Now, I'm not picking on you if you've done that. But you know what's happened a lot of times? You go, I've done it. My wife can tell you. She told me, don't buy it, don't buy it, don't buy it. And it's not the one I have now. That was a good one. But, but years ago, <laughs> I'm serious, this was a good one. I've had a, my, my truck has uh, got almost 200,000 miles on it. It's a 2014, and I'm going to run that thing until it doesn't run anymore. It's paid off. It's the best kind of car. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, so I bought this RAV4. That thing was ugly anyways. <laughs> if you have a RAV4, not, this is back in the early 2000s, all right. I bought this RAV4, and, and it was like the whole time like this uneasy feeling, but the sales guy's like, oh, man, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I'm driving home like, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> How am I going to explain this, you know? I'm like, babe, come out. Look at what the Lord hath blessed me with. Question, 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 seriously. David, the same night he sees Bathsheba, does he not get with her? It's impulsive. There's no waiting. It's like, gotta have it. All right, how about this? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. She looks at the, and you know what it says? She ate it with her husband. Impulsive. Do you know why sometimes, now look, some of you may not, some of you go, overcomers, I don't need that. I'm not addicted to anything. Yeah, you are. When you get depressed, you eat a tub of ice cream. Amen, Amen preacher. You got it. Yeah. Now, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't do that stuff. Yeah, but you emotionally eat. Why do you do that? Because you are trying to fill a void, and you're impulsively trying to satisfy a spiritual need through carnal means, and it will not work. So you go, okay, I got to have those shoes. Then you get the shoes. Look, I'm not picking on you. But, you know, there's been kids that have come and said, I don't have money for summer camp, and years gone by. It's like, bro, it looks like you got plenty of money to me. <laughs> Sell your shoes, bro. <laughs> 200 bucks right there. <laughs> All right, now, 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 what that, I, now, you do whatever you want. I'd rather have my kids have a $50 pair of shoes and learn how to save money. Yeah, right. Just whatever, different, whatever. But what I'm getting at is this, impulsiveness. You know what it comes from? I got to have it. I got to have it. I got to have it. Thing pops up. I got, you know what, you know what you got to do sometimes? Wait 24 hours and say, do I really need this? Five things real quick. Reflect before purchasing. Stick to a shopping list. Implement the 24-hour rule. Unfollow accounts that fuel your temptation, ladies. <laughs> All right? If you're an Instagram-ite and you're like, oh, I just love what they do with their house and I <laughs> love their stuff and I love, okay, no, no problem with that. But if you find yourself going, I got to buy that. And you're like, I don't even know why I bought that. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Maybe go unfollow. Um, you say, why? It, it'll help you. It'll help you. Can I say this? Look at verse 21. Go back to Joshua 7. Joshua 7. You know what covetousness does? It doesn't even allow you to enjoy your purchase. So what do they do when, when he got, he got this, this Babylonian garment? You know, he got the newest Air Jordans, whatever. I don't know, you know. He got, he got this Babylonish garment, and he got this gold, and he got this silver. What does he do with it? Well, I can't wait to steal this and hold on to it so I can hide it in my tent. No one can know about it. <laughs> Sounds like a great plan. You say, what is it? When you get something that you know God's not in, you can't even enjoy it. It's kind of like, oh, man, like... I got this, what do I do with it now? Let me tell you something. You know what Adam and Eve did once uh, they sinned? 
You know what Jacob did from his daddy? He hid who he was. You know what David tried to do with Bathsheba and that whole thing? He, tried to get the, he, got, he got her husband killed. Why? Try to hide it. Let me just tell you something. When you get something and you don't get it God's way and you get it because you think you have to have it, you're not even going to enjoy it. Look, if you would, at verse number 21, uh, verse number 23, excuse me. Notice what happens here. Covetousness needs to be exposed. That's what we're trying to do tonight. Why? Because it affects you and it affects those around you. If nobody else, it affects your family. When you spend more than you have because you can't stand the idea of someone having something you don't have or the advertisement was so powerful that it made you feel like you were going to miss out. You see what is that FOMO, fear of missing out? I wish people would have FOMO for soul winning and FOMO for giving to the Lord and FOMO for like all that stuff. But the world has a way of alluring us, right? And so you know what happens? You go, I just got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. And so eventually, you know what the Lord says? Hey, we need to expose this because it's hurting you. And it's hurting those around you. And it may even hurt your army. Who's your army? Your church. You think maybe there's some victories God may want to win through us? And maybe, maybe, because we've tried to fill spiritual voids through carnal means, that when God provides opportunity to take those... Listen, let me ask you a question. How do you take filthy lucre and convert it? Like if you go to uh, South Africa, you go to South Africa, uh, it's is it fourteen rand to to a dollar or something like that? Eighteen. eighteen now it's gone up. It was fourteen I think when I went five years ago. All right, eighteen rand to one dollar. I go there and I exchange the dollar and I get eighteen rand for the one dollar. You see, was that? That's a currency exchange. All right. L- look as it relates to your life. You think of it this way: How can you take something that is God calls filthy lucre and a, a false god, the god of mammon? How can you take money and convert it from that? into treasures in heaven. God says you can. You say, how do you do that? By using it the right way. And I'm not even saying it's always giving to the church. You know, sometimes kids will have birthdays around here and I'll send them a toy or something or ice cream or something like that. You say, why? Well, when I get older and senile, I want some people that are my allies. Like, I remember Pastor Adrian, he was so nice. Let's not have him euthanized, you know, something like that. I appreciate it. Uh, dark times ahead, you know. But, but all, all, all joking aside, do you, know, do you know why I do that? Only reason I, you know why I enjoy it? Because I know that God can take that if it's done with the right heart, and it can be a blessing to a child that shows them not all pastors are jerks. Not all pastors are egotists. Not all pastors are hung up in themselves. You say, what does that do? It plants a seed in that child's mind that can last for eternity. You, you say, what is that? Well, that's not giving to the church, but I'm giving it to God. Yeah. Covetousness is driven by a false sense of identity. Look at verse 21, that goodly Babylonish garment. I, I got to show you this. Look at Genesis. We got like just like three verses left. Look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, look if you would at uh, verse number 9. I never saw this until today. Now, you may have seen it, and you may go, oh, pastor, this is so old. It's like so 10 years ago for me. Okay, but for me, I literally saw this today. Never saw it before. I mean, it was there. That's why this book is alive. It was there the whole time, but I didn't see it. Look at, look at verse 9. Out of the ground may the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now, you know what's interesting about that? 
that's not the key. That's not the kicker. But when you get down to chapter 3 and look at verse 6, the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes. That wasn't originally bad. Originally, that was good. It was what man did with it that made it bad. Now, now, now hopefully we're going to get gooder here, Brother Sean, because look at, look, at, look at verse 9, again, chapter 2, verse 9. Look what trees he put side by side. Side by side. Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She had to walk past life to get to that tree. Christian, what I'm telling you is this. In him is life. He is your fulfillment. When you walk past the mercy tree of Jesus Christ and you have to get something that you think God's holding back from you, man, what you end up doing is you miss out on the good stuff. Look, if you would, go back to Joshua. I'm sorry, nope, wrong, Colossians, my bad. Colossians. He says to mortify your members. What is that? Remind yourself that the old man is dead. And look, if you would, at Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Set your affections on things where? Not on things on the earth. Now, you have to deal with a, a, a carnal physical world. And there's nothing wrong with that. But make sure your affections aren't all down here. If you care more about people knowing you than you care about people knowing Jesus Christ, your affections are in the wrong place. That's what's wrong with social media. If you care more about earthly treasures that are going to pass than you do heavenly ones, that's a problem. Uh, look, look down, if you would, at verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the what? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is what? Say, why is it idolatry? Because I become God. It becomes all about worshiping and serving and pleasing me. So what happens with this guy, Achan? Well, it costs him his life, his family's life, and it costs Israel a number of uh, uh, scores of men's lives. Why? Because he had to have it. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. God doesn't mind you having things. He minds things having you. Uh, we're going to close in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. If I told you, you shouldn't, you know, I don't know. You should, I'm just going to give you an example. This is really stupid. Just bear with me. You should not eat sugar. Okay, then give me something I can eat. I'm not going to walk around eating tree bark. That's for sure. All right? What can I eat? If I'm telling you covetousness bad, what do I replace covetousness with? There are two ways to have more. Number one, get more. Or number two, be happy with less. Now, that doesn't mean less like I have no dreams, no aspirations, no goals in life. I'm just a blob of existence. That's not how God wired you, all right? Uh, what I am saying is this. Instead of constantly going, I've got to have because they've got. I've got to have because the commercial says. I've got to have. By the way, anybody watch like drug commercial, uh, pharmacy commercials on TV? 
You know, like, you know, mom's playing with her kid, and there's a puppy, you know, like, could cause internal bleeding, diarrhea, death, you know, <laughs> slow motion puppy, you know, like this, like, smiling in the camera. Like, like ju- that should warn you about commercials. That's all you need to know about commercials right there. All right? Look at First Timothy chapter 6. Look, if you would, at verse 5. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is what? From such what? They should not be your friends. If that's your circle, find a new circle. Because if you've got people that live in that circle, it will bleed off on you. You're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. You, you, listen, I, you don't understand something? Um, I get invited to a lot of things and the business side of things, and, and there's a lot of it I don't go to. You want to know why? Because everything centers on alcohol. And everything centers on what's your P&L look like and what is this and what is that. I'm sorry, man. I don't want to be around it all the time. I, I, I appreciate business. I, I'm not against it. But, man, I just that, that world where it's like, what do you have? What do I got? I don't want to be there. Just like I don't want to go to a preacher's meeting and go, how many people are you running in your church? <laughs> I don't want that either, man. Uh, uh, look, look, at, uh, look at verse number six. But godliness with what? <laughs> is what? Why? Because we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now, what's really interesting, guys, look at verse 8. With food and what? Anybody, anybody, everybody eat today? All right. Did everybody, (laughs) I'm not going to ask, do you have clothes on, thank God? (laughs) Amen. All right. Do you realize in Matthew 6, where it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. You know how the modern Christian interprets that? BMW, new house, you know. Nothing against BMWs, but they're great machines, you know. All right. Uh, new house, you know. That's not what it is. Do you know what it is? The illustrations in Matthew 6, you know what they are? The lilies of the field, they don't toil, they don't spin, and yet God clothes them, raiment. The birds of the air... What does he say? He feeds them food. For all these things do the Gentiles seek after. You know what God says? I'll promise you, you will not go without food and raiment. Question, and we'll close. Who here has more than that tonight? (laughs) Amen, Brother Tony. We won him over. He's one of those weird droid people. He kind of came over to the dark side finally with the rest of us. Got my iPhone. Amen. Yeah, all, all joking aside, guys, you, you get the picture. You get the picture. Uh, we'll talk more about what to do with your money, but let's just start off with this. Don't use it to fulfill covetousness. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for these dear people. Lord, allowing me to go along tonight. And Lord, I pray you bless them, Lord, for their desire to hear from you and to, to have the Word of God ministered into their life. Lord, I pray that you would... Lord, bless them for their, not just their attendance, but Lord, their attentiveness, Lord, and their time in the Word of God. And Lord, I pray, uh, Lord, you'd help us, Lord, not to get sucked into and caught up in all this stuff in the world, Lord, and and make it all about here. Lord, uh, we're going to be out of here before we know it. We want to leave a mark the right way. Pray to help us to do that. And Lord, I do pray, Lord, uh, as we go home, Lord, as we pray and talk to you before we go to sleep, Lord, if there's an issue in that realm, Lord, there's some... Lord, I know, Lord, covetousness can lead to all kinds of things. It can lead to bitterness, frustration, 
Lord, a, a feeling of why can't I just have what they have? And Lord, it can ruin a Christian's life. I pray you'd spare your people from that. I pray they take the warning, listen to the word, and apply it to their lives. We love you. Thank you for looking out for us. Thank you for showing us what to do with all the stuff in this life, Lord. And money's just one of them. Lord, I know this, Lord, no mo- amount of money can pay for someone's soul. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that did that on the cross of Calvary. Lord, I pray if anyone is watching online or here tonight that doesn't know you as your Savior, they might consider Jesus the way, the truth, and life. And I ask Him to be their Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.